Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. Grace is not about what you and I can do. Grace is about what God did do. It's about what He accomplished on the cross. Have you ever seen that acronym for the word grace, God's riches at Christ's expense? It's a beautiful truth. Christ paid the price for you and me to have all that God has for us. But have you ever stopped to think about what all grace means? The vast majority of people still believe that somehow if I can be good enough, if I can do the right things or not do the certain things, if I can do this or not do that, then I'm going to be okay with God. And you have totally missed what grace is. I'm Rick Freeman. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Last week we were in the second half of chapter 2 of the book of Mark. And today we're continuing to look at that passage in our series entitled Jesus, the Real Action Hero. Last week, Pastor Clay began to show us some important truths about grace from that second chapter of Mark's gospel. Today, we're going to look at two more very important truths about this thing we call grace. The religious leaders of Jesus' day had totally misunderstood what God's grace was and how it was received. As you might guess, Jesus wastes no time getting to the truth about grace. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's Pastor Clay. We're learning as Mark as Mark is recording these events under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Mark is recording these actions that Jesus is involved in, action after action after action. And uh, we're only in the second chapter. We're finishing up the second chapter today. But uh, if you've been with us in this series or if you've been reading ahead in the book of Mark, already you can see the, the, uh, the antagonism beginning between uh, Jesus and the religious leaders. Already you can see this tension building up. These guys didn't, they didn't like this guy very much and it was, it was only going to get worse. But last week we began to look at some truths about grace that, that I believe Jesus teaches us uh, from the second chapter of the book of Mark. And we covered two of those truths last week. We're going to cover two more of those truths today and finish up chapter 2 of the book of Mark. I want to read to you this morning, and you have, if you have your Bible with you, and uh, text is on the screen as well. Uh, but I want to begin to read, and I want to read the text again in its entirety. Uh, I think that helps with understanding the context. Uh, but in uh, Mark chapter 2, beginning this morning in verse 14, thank you so much for being here. Uh, it is a privilege to be a part of this, of this fellowship. Uh, I don't have to go to church. I get to go to church, and I'm so blessed that I get to. I hope you feel the same way about that. Mark chapter 2 and verse 14, as he passed by, he saw Levi, uh, the son of Alphaeus. I mentioned this last week. Levi is the same as Matthew. Jesus is going to change his name to Matthew, the same Matthew that wrote the book of Matthew, one of the other gospel letters. This is his calling. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And it happened that he was reclining at the table in his house, in in Matthew's house, Levi's house. And many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them, and they were following him. In other words, Jesus has got a crowd up now. They're interested in what he's doing. They're interested in the miracles and all that sort of thing. Some of them are genuinely interested in, in who he is. But, uh, but there's a, a good bit of people following him at this point. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician. But those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. John's disciples and the Pharisees 
were fasting. And they came and said to him, why uh, do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, while the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot fast, can they? So long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear results. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost, and the skins as well. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. And it happened that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need? And and his companions became hungry. How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And he also gave it to those who were with him. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Father, thank you that you are Lord of the Sabbath and every other day of our lives. And today as we uh, just look into your, your word, your perfect holy, inerrant word again. Uh, May your truth uh, leap off of the pages and jump into our hearts and our minds. May it affect us in such a way that we are challenged and changed as a result of your word. Uh, Father, as as honestly as I can say, I mean it every time. I am so humbled and honored to be your messenger boy. Thank you for the opportunity to deliver this, your message, to your people on this, your day. In Jesus' name. Amen. We started last week and we looked at these truths about grace. The first one we looked at was this. There was an invitation to grace in verses 14 through 17. Mark, you know, again, doesn't elaborate. He's just, he's a to-the-point guy. Uh, But he says, uh, here comes Jesus. He goes by Levi, the tax collectors. He goes by his booth. We explain what tax collectors were and what they did and how notoriously crooked they were and all that kind of stuff. And he extends an invitation to him. And that's, that's, that's the heart of this invitation to grace. Grace is extended. It was extended to Levi. Jesus said, follow me. Come on. Come down this path is what the word, the root word means. Come down this, this path with me and your life will never be the same. And there was a response to that. There was a, an acceptance of the, of the grace that was offered to him, this invitation. And that always has to be the case, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it's not enough to just hear it. There must be a response to it. And Levi responded. He got up. He walked away from everything that... that that tax collector's life was to him, and he followed Jesus. And then there's that beautiful story of this party that Levi throws at his house with all of his buddies, who, who guess what? They're all tax collectors and sinners because that's the only people that would want to hang around with Levi because that's what he was. And so they all gather at the house because Levi, I guarantee you, Levi has sent word out, come here, come down here. I've met the man who has changed my life. And they all came, and that's the, that's the 
the pattern that we should see. When grace was extended to us and grace was accepted by us, the natural response should be for grace to be extended to others around us. And I want to encourage you guys to remember that fact again and again and again. That it's, I cannot keep this to myself. I must find ways to extend this grace to others around me. So there was this invitation to grace. And the second truth that we saw last week is that there was a celebration of Grace, that there is a celebration of grace in verses 18 through 20. Again, uh, Pharisees, you know, hey, we're fasting. You guys aren't fasting. What's up? And Jesus gives this beautiful analogy of a wedding. And he says, nobody would go to a wedding and, and act all gloomy and down and, and sober and, you know, and say, no, I can't. No, I can't eat your beautiful, delicious meal that you set out before. Jesus said, that's just silly. You don't do that. If the bridegroom is with you, you're going to celebrate. And, and the point was that I, that I was trying to make last week, and I really believe it's what Jesus is making, is that your relationship with God, ladies and gentlemen, should look more like a wedding and less like a funeral. Uh, that, that, that it's just this celebration of the goodness of God and what he has done for us. That we have to remember this. And in this celebration of grace, I, th- I think I had a couple of things in there. Uh, that One of the reasons or, or some part of the reasons that we, can, that we can celebrate this grace that has come into our lives is number one, the expense of grace. What it cost God to make it possible for you and me to be redeemed. There was the extent of grace, the fact that it doesn't matter. You know, th- these tax collectors, these sinners, they are the worst of the worst as far as the Jewish culture is concerned. But it didn't matter to God. God's grace can reach anyone and everyone. And there was the extravagance of grace. That it's not just about a rescue from hell. That's as wonderful as that is. It's also about this relationship that God gives to us to be adopted into the family of God. Remember that text we read last week? We're we're heirs, joint heirs with Christ. Children of God. And then the consequenting result is that there is a residence waiting for you and me, we read that beautiful passage in Revelation chapter 22, what God has waiting for us. Uh, can, if nothing else, can I just remind you, and listen, on Sunday morning, we gather in here and, and worship, you know, it was just awesome in here today and celebrating the goodness of God. That's wonderful. But can I tell you, can I remind you of this, that celebrating grace is something that, quite honestly, it has a lot more effect on the people you know out there than it does in here. You know what I'm saying? So when you celebrate God in here, praise God, he's worthy of it. But what about that? Hey, let me just throw this out there. I don't know, just food for thought. Do you know that the comments you post on Facebook say a whole lot more about what you believe about grace than, than the religious status you have listed? So you may have Christian listed, but, but, but how do you handle the situation in your life, right? Because Facebook, you know, if, if, you're, if you're big time into it, usually post everything that happened. Stop for gas five minutes ago. Just left the gas station two minutes ago. Turned on the radio just now. now. There are some people like that, right? But listen, when those situations come and sometimes... I'm just saying to you, remember the comments that you post on Facebook or that you say near the water cooler or coffee pot or the Keurig or, or whatever at the office or at school across the cafeteria table. The, the way you say things to people, the way you talk about other people, the way you handle the situation in your life, say a whole lot more about what grace is doing in your life than anything else. And it ought to be a celebration. Okay, that was, didn't I preach that last week? I thought I did. Sorry. All right, here we go. Let's get to the, uh, the third truth, uh, the first one, the first new one this morning. Here's the third truth about grace from Mark chapter 2, and it is this. It's an identification of grace. There's an invitation, there's a celebration, and there is an identification of grace. Verse 21 and 22, I'm going to read those verses again uh, to you, and then we're going to jump into it. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth. You've got to love Jesus the way he just jumps into stories and the way Mark records them. Uh, no one shows a patch of 
unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear results. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is uh, lost, and the skins as well. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. Jesus and his disciples are uh, in the midst of this this teaching time with people, the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, are, are obviously there. They're following along. They're, they're, uh, they're a part of all this and, you know, all, everything. They're, they're kind of checking Jesus out. Maybe some of them with open hearts. Some of them with not so open hearts. And in the midst of this situation, Jesus gives two analogies. Now, the analogies are based on two questions that were put to him. The first question having to do with something that he was doing that they didn't like, hanging out with sinners. The second question having to do with something he wasn't doing that they didn't like, not fasting, like they were. Both of the questions really get to the, to the heart of the matter, or, or you could say the, the, the problem of the heart. You see, the, the religious leaders, these Pharisees, and that's anytime you read that word Pharisee or even a Sadducee, they were the religious leaders of Israel. They were guiding the people, supposedly in the local synagogues and all that kind of thing. Any, anytime uh, you, you see this, this idea here of, of the Pharisees coming up and, and approaching Jesus about this, and they're, they're constantly questioning who he is and, and what he's doing. So Jesus responds to their two uh, questions with these two analogies. Now, here's the problem. The, uh, the Jewish leaders were teaching the people... Because, listen, what's interesting about this is Jesus' analogy, these two analogies that he gives, are the, the, uh, the interpretation of them apparently is so obvious that he doesn't even bother explaining it, does he? Did you notice that? He gives no explanation of the two analogies. Apparently, it should have been so apparent to those guys that, that they should have just known. But for us, 2,000 years removed, maybe a little bit of explanation doesn't hurt. The religious leaders were teaching that... that because they were Jewish, they were, they were special, they were chosen by God, and, and God had given them these, these laws, these ordinances, what's called the Levitical law. Uh, the laws that God gave to Moses up on Mount Sinai when they came out of the, some of you know this, when they came out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt, and they came out into the wilderness, and God kept them out there for a little while because he wanted to give them some laws, and, and Moses went up on Mount Sinai, and he gave them the Ten Commandments, and he gave them other laws and, and, and regulations and things like that. The, the Jewish leaders were teaching that it was by the keeping of that law that they would be in right standing with God, and that what, what's what gave them the right relationship with God. Partly because, just because they were Jewish, so they were chosen, they were special, and because they were keeping the Levitical laws. Now, let's be clear. God did have an expectation that the Jewish people keep the laws and commandments. It, it was every bit his expectation that when he gave them these laws and these commandments, that they, that they would keep them. Now, some of the laws were practical. Um, the use of the land, um, uh, how to deal with uh, the release of debt, how to, uh, how to exist in, in some dietary form, some of the dietary laws. Some of, they, were just, they were just some practical things about them. Some of the laws were intended for the moral uh, security of the culture or the society. Uh, laws such as 
dealing with sexual immorality or laws dealing with rebellious children or laws dealing with how to treat people that, that worked for you. Those, those types of laws were intended to keep the people in a place of right standing with God, morally speaking. Because here's what God knows. God knows that the people of Israel, if left to themselves, will simply digress into another immoral, ungodly uh, culture of people, just like all of the other nations around them. Just like all the other countries, Israel become just like them. And God desired a group of people who could bring the message of God and the Messiah of God into the world, to the rest of the world. And Israel couldn't do that if they just digress and become like all the other nations around them. Do you understand? So God gave very stern, strict, and some of the penalties were very harsh. Because he's trying to keep these people uh, in a place where they can, where they can accomplish the purposes that he has for them. Some of the commandments have spiritual application. The, uh, the, the sacrificial system, for instance, the, the sacrifice, the offering of animals as sacrifice was intended, now listen to me, was intended to show the people the holiness of God, the seriousness of sin, and their inability to do anything about it, about their own sin. You understand? That's what the, the sacrificial system was designed to do. It was designed to show the people of God who God was, his holiness, why sin is so serious, and why they can't do anything about their sin at all. But the people, for whatever reason, had come to believe that if they just kept this law, that it was in the keeping of the law, that that made them in right standing with God. And they were missing the very intent of the law in the first place. Look and see what God has to say. And I've got a couple of lengthy passages here, but it's important to set this up. Look what God says to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 1. Now watch this. This is God speaking to the people of Israel, okay? What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? Now, he's the one that established this system, right? What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle, and I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the solemn assembly. Get the impression God's not pleased? I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, watch this. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, when you want me to respond, I I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Most of the people in Israel, and, and there, listen, it's not everybody. There were people that were genuinely they got it and they were authentic and all that. But most of the people of Israel were very religious. And it was totally worthless. Because in their minds, they're doing it all. They're doing the new moon festivals. They're, they're doing the offerings. They're doing all that stuff. And God says, I, I, I'm sick of it. That's never been what it's supposed to be about. 
the writer of Hebrews, he explains what it actually was to be about. Hebrews chapter 10. Watch what he says. Now listen, stay with me. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. You see, the law, the Levitical law, the things that they were, that there was purpose in them. But he says the, the, the law is only the shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the sacrifices repeatedly, repeated endlessly year after year, it can never make perfect those who draw near to worship. Do you hear what he just said? That's, that, that's not how it happens. Otherwise, and listen to this rationale, otherwise would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices, watch this, are annual, are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, this is God the Son speaking of God the Father, but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. And then I said, Here I'm. Here I am, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. And first, he said, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them. Though they were offered in accordance with the law, he was saying, they, they were keeping the law. They were, they were doing the stuff that, that was laid out for them. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside, watch this, he sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. Once for all. Well, she's winding up now. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices. Here it is again. Which can never take away sins. But when this priest, meaning Jesus had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, for by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So the, 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 the people of Israel, were they, they completely missed it. They'd completely gotten it wrong. They'd completely misunderstood. They had failed to identify grace. That was never, it was never about that this is going to make you in right standing, this is about helping you see that I've got to do this for you. It was never about what they could do. It was always about what God would do. You understand? And they, and, 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 and they didn't understand that. They had missed that. And so, so Jesus clarifies. <laughs> he clarifies with two and Now, let's, let's get to the analogies themselves, specifically. The first one has to do with, uh, with clothing. I, uh, no one would ever accuse me of being an uh, expert clothes washer, uh, but uh, I, I think it's it's a that that analogy is pretty easy to see. If you've got uh, a piece of a garment, a piece of clothing that that's your favorite piece, let's, you know, let's make it modern. Say you got a pair of jeans, you just love these pair of jeans, but you got a big hole in the jeans, and you take uh, another a pair of jeans and you, and you sew a brand new pair of uh, jeans, and you sew a brand new patch in there. When you go to wash that garment for the very first time, that patch is going to shrink because that's what cloth does. It, it, it shrinks when it's new, right? I guess, right? <laughs> My wife says, yes, it happens. <laughs> and, so, and so you can see it. You can see if, if, it, if, it, if it shrinks, the rest of the garment's not shrinking. Why? Because it's done shrunk. <laughs> it's as shrunk as it's going to get. And so it shrinks and, the, and it stretches the, the stitching around it and it tears away. The old 
can't handle the new. The second analogy, although different, is exactly the same. New wine in the text refers to fresh grape juice. Fresh grape juice would at times be placed into uh, flasks, animal skin flasks. Uh, The uh, grape juice was placed in the flask, stopper was put on, it was used to drink. But as I understand it, even with the stopper in place, air could still get into uh, the container. Air could still get into the flask. And as I understand it, uh, natural or, or wild yeast often rides on the air and it would get into the flask where the grape juice was. The yeast feeds on the sugars in the grapes and produces alcohol or technically ethanol. It's produced from that. But a byproduct, a byproduct of the, uh, uh, the yeast feeding on the sugar is that it also produced carbon dioxide gas. And so if the, if the grape juice is placed into a new flask, the new flask made out of animal skin, leather, whatever it was, the new flask would give, it would expand. So as the, as the carbon dioxide was produced, the new skin would stretch and it would expand and it would hold uh, both the, the liquid and the gas with no problem. But if you took wine, this, this new wine, this grape juice, and you poured it into a skin that had already been stretched And then it began to produce the carbon dioxide gases. The gas has nowhere to go because the flask can't give. And so what happens is eventually the flask ruptures and you lose the flask and you lose the contents. The old can't handle the new. What what Jesus is saying, ladies and gentlemen, is I'm about to do something new now. Listen to me, this is important. I'm about to do something new. Not new in the sense of a new idea. Okay? It was always God's intention to send his son to redeem the world. Do you understand? It, it's it's not, not new in the sense that uh, God looked at it and said, well, you know, this whole sacrificial system thing's not working. I, I got to come up with something else. Not new in that sense. Jesus dying for your sins and my sins was never plan B. But new in the sense that it was not going to fit into their old way of thinking. Jesus was the new covenant. Jesus was the fulfillment, watch this, Jesus was the fulfillment of the old covenant. He was the completion of the old covenant. And they couldn't handle that. They just thought, all I got to do is just do all this stuff. I don't need Jesus, just do all this stuff and then I'm going to be okay. They couldn't handle this this new idea and it was going to bust their way of thinking wide open. It was going to rupture. Jesus was the new. He was the completion of what was the old. Look at these passages of Scripture. Uh, Look at this first one in Luke chapter 22. And We took the Lord's Supper last week. He says, And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Look at this one. In Romans chapter four, uh, chapter eight, verse one through four. So now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a good word right there. It's one of my favorite Bible verses. Romans eight one. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and because you belong to Him, the power of the life giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us 
because of the weakness of our sinful nature. We couldn't, we couldn't keep the laws. You couldn't do No matter what, you couldn't keep them perfectly. You were still going to sin. That was the point. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied to us. See? You understand? Who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. It's his work. It's what he did. And they couldn't, they, they, they just wouldn't see that. Look a couple others real quick. Uh, I know I've got to hurry. Second Corinthians 3. Uh, you are a letter written on our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone like the original commandments were, but on tablets of our hearts. I think i got one more. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts. I will write them on their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. The old can't handle the new. And they couldn't handle that truth. The truth was God came in, in his son to do something new for us. There was no more keeping of this Levitical law, no more all this kind of stuff. It had its purposes, it had its reasons, but God had something new. Now, what's the point of all of that for us? Here's the point. It has been my um, experience in how many tens of thousands of people that I've talked to and the places I've traveled all over the world, it has been my experience that the vast majority of people, perhaps even someone in here this morning, the vast majority of people still believe exactly what those religious leaders believed 2,000 years ago. They still believe that somehow if I can be good enough, if I can do the right things or not do the certain things, if I can, if I can just act a certain way or if I can, can, can you know, do this or not do that, then I'm going to be okay with God. And you have totally missed what grace is. I'll say it again, grace is not about what you and I can do. Grace is about what God did do. It's about what he accomplished on the cross. It's an identification of grace. And you and I need to identify that grace. We need to understand. Now, does God have expectations for our lives? Sure he does. Just like he did for the people of Israel. Does God have things that he wants us to do and things that he doesn't want us to do? Absolutely he does. But when you understand grace, you understand that God has given us those things because they're for our good. It's grace. Let me give you a a second idea real quick uh, about this. A clarification of grace. Uh, I won't read all of it again in in 23 through through 28, but let me me just read a little bit of it for you. Because there there needs to be for all of us probably a clarification of grace. And it happened that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples began to make their way along uh, while he was picking the heads of grain. The Pharisees see them do this, and they say, Hey, hey, hey! They're eating, they're, they're picking grain, and it's Sabbath. It's Sabbath. They're picking grain. Yeah, do you ever get the impression that, I mean, and it goes on, and we'll, we'll get into Jesus' response to them. But do you ever get the impression that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, followed Jesus around just to spot, try and catch him messing up? So if, if they spent half the energy in listening to him and trying to discover who he was, they might have figured out who he actually was and what he actually came to do. But uh, anyway, uh, the, the, 
the Pharisees accused Jesus' disciples of picking grain. In other words, working on the Sabbath. God, in all those ordinances, some of the things we talked about, God had given a commandment and an ordinance that the people were not to work on the Sabbath. The, the word Sabbath uh, comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat. It means cessation or it means rest, something like time of rest or, or to stop from your labor. It's found in Exodus chapter uh, 20. Uh, it says, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. Uh, that's Saturday, by the way. This, I, I, people all the time getting, but I mean, there's something about it. Anyway, <laughs> uh, in it, you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days, the Lord made the uh, heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. So Israel, don't work on Sabbath. I want you to rest on Sabbath. And particularly as far as gathering grain and, and that sort of thing. In verse 23, uh, he, he told Moses, uh, Moses told the people, don't, don't go. He said, go out and get grain the day before Sabbath so that you'll have something to eat on Sabbath. And specifically in verse 25, it says this in Exodus 16. Uh, Moses said, eat it today for today is Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. In other words, don't go out in the field. Don't, don't go pick your fields today. And Jesus and his disciples come along. And as they're traveling, where they, where they travel, they're passing through some, some grain fields. And as they're passing through, they're hungry. And as they're hungry, they begin to pick some of, the, some of the grain, whether it's wheat or I don't know, whatever it was, but they're picking some of the stalks of grain and, and, and you know, rubbing off the husk, and they're eating some of the, the seed that is in it. And the Pharisees, ooh, 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 you're, you're, you're working on Sabbath. You're working on Sabbath. I mean, this was Sabbath, buddy. Hey, listen, by the way, they were not stealing. Because I've heard that before. Well, they were stealing. No, they were not stealing. Levitical law allowed for persons in need, persons that were hungry, to be able to, to pick grain from other persons' fields. If they didn't have their own field, they were allowed to do that as long as they didn't carry, you know, like a sickle or something. You can't take, you know, half the crop. But if, if, but if you were hungry, you, the Le- Levitical... God's always taking care of people, yeah, by the way. Uh, and so Levitical law allowed that. So they were not stealing. But this was Sabbath, buddy. So Pharisees are all over this one. And Jesus tells a story. It's, 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 a, it's a very interesting story to me that, that he gives his response. Uh, obviously, it's Jesus, so it's a perfect response. But he tells a story about uh, when David went to the high priest to get something to eat. The story's found in 1 Samuel chapter 21. David and his men were on the run from Saul. Saul was still king. Uh, God had, Saul had messed up. God had declared David's going to be king. But, uh, and, and David had been very faithful to Saul, but Saul got jealous of David's popularity. I find that interesting because that's essentially what happens with the Pharisees. They get jealous of Jesus' popularity. Uh, so it's interesting to me that Jesus uses this story. But um, they were jealous. Uh, uh, Saul was jealous of David's popularity, so he was out to kill David. And David had his group of men, and they're on the run, and they're hungry. And, and David goes to the high priest, and, and, he, and he says, I need something to eat. Have you got some bread around here? And the high priest says, I don't have any ordinary bread. The only bread I have is what was called the showbread, or the bread of presence. It was 12 loaves that were baked every Sabbath and laid on this golden table, this golden altar, this golden table in the temple. And it was offered up to God. Now, obviously, God didn't eat the bread. That wasn't the point. The point was is that it was, it was a way to honor God with the fruit of the land. It was a way to demonstrate that everything comes from God. It was, a, it was a way to honor God. And so the bread was laid out on the Sabbath. It was freshly baked. It was laid out there. And, and there, uh, two rows of six that sat on this golden table. 
on the next Sabbath, when the new bread was baked and set, and set out on the table, the old loaves were given to the priests to eat. And according to Leviticus chapter 24, nobody but the priests were to eat it. Because the priests didn't have their own land. The priests didn't have uh, their, uh, the way to produce their own thing. God didn't give them a, a, a tribe, didn't give them a particular part of the promised land. Their responsibility was the temple. Their responsibility was the spiritual nourishment of the people. And so God put in place uh, a mechanism through which the, the, the priests would ensure that they would have food. Do you get it? The high priests give some of that bread... To David, David eats it and David gives some of it to his men. And Jesus points that out to the scribes and the Pharisees and any of the people who gather around. David, this David who was regarded possibly as the greatest king in the history of, of Israel. This David who the, all the people would have held in great high regard. This David broke the law by taking some of the, the showbread and eating it. And so Jesus tells that story. And then he says this in verse 27. He brings, brings the lesson home, verse 27, when he says the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. In other words, listen, guys, 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 you are so missing this. Hello, McPherson, you just, you aren't getting this. In the case of the showbread, yes, yes. Uh, the, the priests needed food to eat, and so God made a mechanism for them to be able to make, to ensure that nobody stole it, nobody took advantage of it, that they would always have something to eat because they couldn't grow it themselves. But it didn't mean that they couldn't give bread to somebody that was hungry. Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. Same, same thing with, with this case of, of working on the Sabbath. God's intention was that the, was that the people of God would rest. Now listen, partly because, as the text said, we read a moment ago, as it says in Genesis, God created everything in six days and God rested from his work. Didn't mean that God was tired, it just meant he finished. And he declared that it was very good. And so when we rest on that Sabbath day, when the Israel would rest on that Sabbath day, according to biblical law, they were honoring God. They were, they were recognizing that God was the creator of everything that, that was. And by the way, it should also be mentioned that, that I think at least part of the reason God would give this Sabbath is because God knows you and me. And God knows that some of you would tend to, had you the opportunity, you would probably work all of the time. Because you enjoy work or because you want to make more money or because you want to have more stuff. <laughs> stuff is not supposed to be our priority. God is supposed to be our priority. I should also mention that as the great physician... God knows exactly what we need, physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, in every way. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen, you and I need to rest. We need to rest. Can I, <laughs> I debated about whether to say this. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to say it. I got, a little, I got a little time left, one minute. Let me just go ahead and say this. That's why some of y'all have a hard time staying awake sometimes in here on Sunday mornings. Because I know my preaching's not that bad. But listen, you know what it is? We just go all the time, don't we? We go, why don't we got here, we got there. We're working this job. Some of you working second jobs or taking a second shift or, or bringing work home or, or, or taking somebody here. We're just, we're just on the go all the time. And for some of you, quite honestly, for some of you, sitting down in here on Sunday morning for an hour and a half or whatever it is, for some of you, after worship is the first time all week maybe you've just sat down and been quiet. And it's hard to stay awake. Jesus himself could be up here preaching. It'd probably be a hard time staying awake. You and I need to rest. It's okay to say, you know what? I got limitations. 
So I think at least part of the purpose of Sabbath was even in that. And so Jesus says, man is made for Sabbath and not Sabbath for man. You've got it wrong, guys. You're misunderstanding. You're so, you're so focused in on the letter of the law that you're missing the intent of the law. Oh, and I love, I love, I love, I love that Jesus adds that little caveat right there at the end of the, of the chapter where, where it, it says, uh, consequently, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Let me give you a modern translation of that. And by the way, I'm God and you're not. And I'll decide what's acceptable on the Sabbath, not you. It is a clarification of grace. So, here's what it means. Here's what it comes down to. Let me close. I know I've got to close. But here's what this comes down to. I know there's a lot of technical stuff today. I know there's a lot of Old Testament stuff we're talking about. But this, this, it's all tied up in this thing called grace, ladies and gentlemen. And what, we're, what, what Jesus is saying here is that is that when you understand this, you understand God really is on your side. God really does love you. And so even in the thou shalt nots, God is demonstrating his grace. Even in the... Y'all ever have anybody say say something like this to you? Uh, Christianity's got too many do's and don'ts for me. Praise God for every single do and every single don't. Because it means that God cares enough so whether, whether it's something, to bring it into the New Testament, whether it's a prohibition against sexual immorality, whether it's a prohibition against rebellion to your parents, whether it's a prohibition of, of, of uh, chasing after riches or wealth or all the different things that the New Testament talks about that are not Levitical laws, but they're still principles that God has given to us for our good. Man, that's grace. That's grace. Well, that brings us to the end of chapter 2 of the book of Mark. Already, we can see the opposition to Jesus growing among the religious leaders. As Pastor Clay explained today, Jesus' purposes weren't going to fit well with what the religious leaders were teaching. He was helping people understand the real meaning of grace. And even more importantly, Jesus was on mission to be the means of grace as he was steadily moving toward the cross. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.